Open Nesters podcast is a weekly podcast that explores new ways of living as our kids leave the nest. Now in season three, the podcast topics go deeper and wider in interviews with individuals, couples, and experts in areas ranging from relationships and families to adventure, spirituality, and sexuality. Nancy Collier has been featured on major media, Good Morning America, New York Times, and she's a regular blogger for Psychology Today. And you will hear she's an author and an incredible mom and partner. So let's hear it from Nancy Collier. Welcome to the Open Nesters podcast, Nancy Collier. I hope I pronounced that correctly. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. So you are a mom of a 20-year-old and a tween among all the wonderful credentials that you have as an interfaith minister and psychotherapist and really doing great work in Corpalo around how we are in our bodies and our mind bodies and emotional bodies and all the important things that make us work. So um, why don't you tell us about, you, you have partnership, you, a little bit about where you live and and any of the salient points right now around your 12 and 20-year-old that come to mind to just bring us into your present? That's a big question there. Um, So in terms of my nest, um, I am married for, we've been together 23 years, so married about 21. Uh, Lucky Blackjack, 21. Mm -hmm. And um, yes, I have two girls who are at the very epicenter of my heart. I uh, couldn't believe I got so lucky. I always wanted girls and um, uh, eight year gap. So it's an interesting, oh, seven and a half. Um, and salient right now in the raising of these two girls, they're very different, radically different creatures. And I suppose most on the plate right now is the surrendering of ownership of the 20 year old's life and uh, really doing that hard thing as a mom, which is not fixing and not jumping in and doing all the things that, you know, need to be done and watching them not happen if that need be and honoring separation as a individuation as a process that's that's necessary painful but necessary and then with the little one it's just um wow she is just a firecracker and funniest person i think i ever met so it's meeting her there she's not an academic per se in terms of wanting to talk about her classes or any of that processing emotional stuff but uh boy do we laugh so it's just dancing with life the way it shows up well, that's one of the terms I always love to use. So thank you. Dancing with life and you, and bringing awareness to the process and the messiness. And and it's, you know, as a psychotherapist and having been trained, and you said you started later in life to have kids, probably bringing a higher awareness to say, how do I individuate as not having that codependency that most of us as moms on some level end up having? And knowing how to, and so with people that you even work with, let's go there for a moment, because there are listeners out there, most of them are women on our podcast that listen. How how do you help some of your moms that make that transition when they're having a hard time individuating? I mean, it's a, it's a big question, but I am really interested in this transitional stage for people that want to be more open to their own lives and let their kids be open to theirs. That's the open nesting. 
Yeah, I find it, it, you know, it's such a full range. You know, some women I work with uh, really need to keep the attachment incredibly tight uh, for their own meaning, for their own well-being, and are maybe not so aware of how they're the one holding on and and the child is ready to, to move on. Um, in this era of constant communication and 47 texts a day and, you know, so on, um, you know, should I get the red or the blue one, you know, from the dressing room, you know, uh, I, I think that we have done a disservice with so much technology of allowing our children to be on their own. So what I, you know, what I sometimes struggle with and uh, uh, see other moms also in my practice as clients and so on struggle with is we're ready. (laughs) We're kind of ready to go and enter the next chapter. It's not to say they'll, you know, that they're not the most important people in our lives, but there is a readiness of, okay, we've given down to our bone marrow. We've given our feet away. We've given our time away. We've given everything. And we'll do it again and again and again. Of course, you know, it always makes me smile. You know, if you watch parents of young children on the carousel, you know, and every time they go by, you know, you'll wave. And, you know, and in our DNA, it just every time. And every time requested, you know, pretty much will show up. But this growing longing in ourselves that is, ah, I'm ready for my own attention. I'm ready to not, you know, have a have a needle in my arm of needs going out. <laughs> and um, so it is a it is a sort of you're on this precipice of readiness, and they're not quite ready, and you're redefining. What is it to take care of your needs? I happen to be in a situation where one, I'm really letting take over her life, even as maybe she's not as much as she, I wish she were. Um, And then I have a tween who very much needs me in the game. And so I'm in that predicament of the readiness is here. Oh my gosh, there's so much, you know, that wants to get to live and there's this great commitment that my attention and energy is still very much needed and deserved in this young space. And I, and I would say that's so honest about, even for people who have struggled with kids who have less, I mean, so much anxiety and depression in the world and as they go out in their 20s and, and the guilt that us moms can still continue to hold even when we're ready. So we hold that space. And I do wonder how you work with women on that, because it does seem like one of the hardships, the way I see it. One of the things, you know, and I talk about it in this book, The Emotionally Exhausted Woman, is we have to, and 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 I hope I talk people through the steps of it. Somewhere along the line, we learned that being selfless was our badge of honor, right? That taking care of other people's needs was supposed to take care of our own needs. And we forgot that there's also this entity of ourselves that has needs that are not just about taking care of others. And so part of what I work with with women is, again, relearning that they matter. 
and that there isn't a contradiction between caring about oneself and caring about one's loved ones so that they can coexist. It's both and, and that it's not a betrayal to also matter. And that the longing, you know, there's this great core belief that our cultural conditioning has supported that to want for oneself, if it isn't somehow for another, uh, is some sort of selfish act. And that's just false. I, I mean, there's, you know, boil it down. That's just false. We have wants and needs that are our own, you know, true self's journey that, believe it or not, are not about a role we play. And that has to coexist with our great desire to take care of those we love. So just making that space that you matter independently, and that's not a selfish act, uh, is the start of it. So that we stop feeling that depletion that you talk about in the book and in many of your seminars, all that depletion that somebody could really feel. And I wonder if you went back to our native selves before there was such you know, a modern rush of how much not just technology keeps us connected, but how much anxiety and and allow away from the 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 time when we were in villages together and lived in in simpler lives. I mean, what did the mom do then, and how can we kind of? I like the idea of tuning into that inner essence and inner self. What's true for us that does release that child, just like in nature. We eventually know this is not that we cannot live through our children. We're only here to 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 be. And, you know, in so many ways to do the best we can and not just the best we can, but allow them to be who they are. And that takes work. That's its own piece of work. But but as women, we've been so conditioned, you know, to take the blame or to be guilty. That's just sort of the habitual response, right, that we're guilty. And, um, you know, that keeps us on this treadmill of not taking our own needs uh uh, seriously, because something is broken in us, right? And if we want for ourselves, if we want to know something authentic and uh, real inside us that is just ours, um, then again, there's something to fix for us that we're broken in some way. And that just keeps the same habitual cycle going that keeps us stuck and keeps us blocked. And so some of the work, you know, happens just by becoming aware of how we actually roll in the world, you know, what we're taking responsibility for, what we're, what are our core beliefs about our own needs? From the time we're very, very young, around tweens, interestingly, um, we learn that it's more important to be in a relationship with other people than to be in a relationship with ourselves, that 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 is the route to being emotionally safe. So we start living these lives on the fumes. They're really just fumes of getting other people to like us, which is a form of disconnection from self, right? And that that's the best that we can hope for, right? So we control and manage other people's perceptions of us while we control and manage what's allowed in us, what's not allowed, right around the tweens, our relationship with self becomes suspicious and uh, sort of adversarial, if you will. We're we're like an agent to ourself. Uh, Can't be authentic because that's dangerous, 
So we start managing it. And, you know, then begin, becomes this life, which that tween becomes a 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, da, 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 something. And that split is never healed. So the work I do with women is coming back to, wow, what is real before that split happened? It's really a returning home to some primary experience of oneself that is not codependent. You know, I can't help thinking, I know you have an experience, I read it on your bio, about being an equestrian. Mm. And I started thinking about, like like I was saying a little before, the animal family. Like, what, Obviously, as humans, we have different you know, cognitive and behavior and, and, and emotional abilities to learn and grow our brain. And, and yet there is something primal in, in how we allow this stage of life to be about our, our own grace, and especially as open nesters, rather than that intense attachment that can really, you know, I mean, and it is hard to watch your kids, whether it's in the tweens. I remember middle school was a horror show for us at some point when I have two sons and a daughter. And then, and then at these stages in the twenties where there's a lot of, a lot of hardship and growth, especially I think in, in this world, in this world we're living in. And what a time, you know, for our kids to be in this world of, on constantly and, you know, defining themselves even more by perceptions, you know, constant social media uh, likes and, you know, how many followers. And this has become, you know, the essence of their self-esteem, this giant experiment that technology or corporate America did with our kids failed, clearly, with our suicide rates and our anxiety and depression in our children. Um, it doesn't work to uh, have children uh, interacting in this way all the time and, and defining their self-esteem, which is already in these young years uh, so dependent upon their peer group. And now to have constant commentary, it's it's a horror show. But I think for, for moms, you know, so much of our work is in this sense of identity, you know, we, we have such a sense of who we are in all our roles, who we are to and for other people. And so as our children start to move on in whatever way they do, onto peers or into their lives, this question, and it's a beautiful question, arises, which is, well, who am I outside my roles? And for a lot of women, that's a really tough transition because we could say a lot of things about why, but one reason is we, you know, a lot of women, and I don't say this in a judgmental way, but have used their children, had more and more and more in some way to stay distracted from this entity they left a long time ago, right? Or with this idea that it could only be either or, either me, oh, you're paying attention to you or your children. So a lot of the transitional time is about finding a sense of identity that is about one's own journey in life. And what do you want, as Mary Oliver said, with this one wild and precious life, right? It's an identity quandary. So what are some of the tools you do help women with? What are the first accessible ones that you would suggest if someone's listening here to start getting back into that? Sure. Well, awareness starts everything. 
awareness is the process it's it's the it's the match that lights the flame so we have to start becoming even aware of how we're experiencing this life what is here most women walk around so depleted and so emotionally exhausted and often resentful and often but they don't really sit down and say, how do I roll? How do I behave in my relationships? What am I doing? What do I want? Right? So we have to start making ourselves a destination, contemplating our own experience. Right? And then the second step, so that's a whole process, right? And putting yourself on the map. What's my life? What's it like to be me in this life? And if it's hard to find that that quiet time because they don't know how. I mean, journaling, what are some of the actual tools? You yeah, spend? journaling, I would absolutely recommend talking to someone. Someone Sometimes we need, whether it's a counselor, or a therapist, a good friend, you know, a spiritual advisor, whatever it might be, but to start to honor your own experience, right? Even just putting yourself in the game, right? What's it like for me? What is my truth? We spend so much time taking care of other people's wants and needs. We don't know our own. So starting to ask yourself, what what do I want? I've only gotten as far as making you happy or keeping the peace or being liked. But what do I actually want? For a lot of women, really successful, intelligent, evolved women, that's a question they've never asked themselves. So that's the beginning. And recently I've taken to dating myself. Yeah, I keep hearing about that. Tell me. And honestly, we have one episode about it early in our first season, but I hadn't done it as much for myself just because the opportunities arose when I realized I didn't want to be with some people, for example, when we start doing that evaluation, are not adding that much value to to our lives. And we, we really look at that what do we value in ourselves? So spending that time when I've gone out like to the beach or in the convertible or just walking or just finding my own things that I like to wander into and do and no one's around. The dating yourself or eating yourself or I I even went to a bar the other night by myself. I went to a concert the other night by myself. Like it is, it was so empowering. Yes. So I really, you know, I it's one of the things I recently started thinking how moms at this stage of life I mean, you've also been serving kids and also with partners. Like, so, so nice to just all of a sudden do those, do those, some of those simple things and start dating yourself. What do you like? Yeah, it's so great, right? And, you know, making yourself someone whose company you enjoy. You know, it's just so radical. It's like, oh, I could sit at a bar and have dinner and enjoy my own company. What, what a revolutionary idea. I'm not... You know, we learn particularly as women that we are, I don't know how you would say it, but like a launching pad. We're a place you launch from, but to a destination. And so I encourage women to make themselves get curious about what is this actually like for me this day? Or what do I, you know, in some of the exercises I lead people through in moving from should, a life of should, to a life of want, you know, is even discovering, as you said, if I go out for a walk, where do I actually want to go? Not how many steps should I do? Not should I pick up milk? Not should I go blah, blah, blah. But where would I want to go? It's like, I've never, you know, I've never asked myself the question. We ask our children, uh, what do you want your room to look like? But ask yourself, 
what do you want your room, your inner room to look like, right? And then start offering that. And in marriages, the same, you know, that if we really start paying attention and bringing awareness to what if this works for me? You know, I've spent so much time keeping the peace or making it work with this sort of underlying fear that I won't be okay if it doesn't. I need to keep the unit intact. But as we evolve a bit, you know, we can start asking that question, does that work for me? You know, what need am I tucking away or what want or what's the true experience I'm having in this relationship that I'm not allowing to come to the table because blah, 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 blah. I don't want to incite this. or But that's a question. That's a contemplation we need to start living in, which is how does that comment that maybe that happens every day actually land on me? We do it so instinctively. You know, we tuck away the real experience and right away get into the make it work. Right. And so I like to unpack that and unravel that so that we start to build the courage to stop and say, wow, that's kind of not okay with me. If I really were to stand in my truth, don't have to be, doesn't have to be an aggressive, right? Because that's the assumption that that's to be aggressive, but to just say, look at how many ways in a day I make it work, what fundamentally doesn't work. So I, I'm coming to mind with a few friends who once they started doing that pushback, even kindly, their husbands revolted. It was like, whoa. So I am curious if you want to give us some thoughts about the way in to that fear and pain and ability to set boundaries and be authentic. I have that's, that's the essence of this book, which is there is this paradigm shift that can happen can really happen where we've gone our whole lives thinking that the best way to take care of ourselves is to abandon ourselves ultimately and to get you to like me. I mean, we can boil it down to its simplicity, you know, to have you perceive me well. Now I can perceive myself well and we're all good. But the cost of that, abandonment, the cost of that is so profound in terms of no longer listening to our own still small voice. The the voice gets very quiet. It doesn't go away, but it gets very, very quiet. It's lost its listener. The sense of our vitality, of living in our real truth uh, is depleted, and we end up emotionally exhausted and physically exhausted and mentally exhausted And the connection with uh, this authentic self, right, really gets severed in that um, disappearance. The work is in starting in baby steps to, uh, first of all, not have your default be that it's my fault. If there's something that's not okay in your life, we've been trained that that's my fault. So the one of the one of the steps is to work with that and to undo that, that you can have something not okay in your life, and I can be empathic with that, and yet it's not my fault. We keep we keep what we think of as control by making it our fault and then fixing it. And again, we live codependently. 
we live uh, primarily codependently. And then we start to play with baby steps, like actually in little ways, starting to tell the truth. So first we have to be aware of what the truth is. So it could be the truth. I mean, really baby steps, like we're at the coffee store and they put way too much milk in our coffee that we've asked for dark. And we say, hey, um, I actually asked for that, you know, dark. Uh, could you make it darker? And we recognize, you know, we're going to build up to telling our husband that when he does that or when our partner, when she does that, that that's not okay with us and it's hurtful. We'll get there. But it starts in baby steps, which is having some courage to, for lack of a better way of putting it, be disappointing. Not to be the one that makes everyone okay. And that is so new for so many of us. You know, even the most evolved of us have been trained to be people pleasers. We just are. Sure. We just are. Sure. And so I talk a lot about the costs of that, but it doesn't happen also conceptually. It happens by in little tiny ways, having the courage to say, um, Actually, I asked for that. Oh, I asked for toast without butter. I was pretty, it was very clear about that. And it has butter and having the courage to soldier. She's neurotic. She's type A. She's controlling. She's, she's, she's. Particular. She's, I'm always very particular. That's I right. like my things the way I like them. And that's you know right. what? I don't apologize, but I am amazed how many people do. And, okay. they, and, they, and they just accept it. That's right. So we start by, I teach women, I cannot tell you how many women come to me and say, what are the, these are really smart women. What are the words you actually use when someone is blaming you or having that kind of response to you? Like, what do you say? So I'll give them a script. You know, if you're turning someone's offer down that you don't want, let's say to, to go somewhere, what have you, um, I'm not going to be able to do that or I'm not comfortable with or that's not going to work for me. And then the magical piece is stop talking. Right. <gasps> Don't oh apologize. God, justification shit. No, oh, my God. Don't throw yourself under the bus. I know. I know. I'm such a bad. Blah, 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 blah. Don't. So whatever mantra you need in that moment, stop talking, stop talking, stop talking. I'm not to blame. No is a complete sentence. Whatever works for you. <laughs> Work it, work it and use the time to. And what's amazing, though, and this is what creates the paradigm shift is when we start getting the bicycle wheel of learning to ride the bike of that, that gap where we've owned what's true for ourselves and we're not going to apologize for it and make ourselves the bad one because we're not pleasing the other becomes a really exciting space. Instead of a terrifying, awkward, oh, my God, oh, my God, guilty, 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 I'm not responsible for their experience, I'm not responsible, I'm not responsible, it becomes this really kind of, wow. I mean, I, 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 it sounds like a wow to me, and I know that I have some still, like, I think most of us, levels of codependency because we we naturally live with someone and it's hard not to, and yet it's exciting to me. I, I can hear the voice, not in me as much, because... 
I mean, my husband and I are polyamorous. We've taken risks in, in giving each other a lot of space. So we've worked through a lot of conscious communication, a lot. But I hear how women think the underlying fear, I'm going to be alone. There is an underlying fear. And I did want to just have you address that because I think that is an underlying fear like, oh my God, maybe I'll make problems. I don't want to be alone, especially as we get older. So I wondered how you address that. Oh, that's it. You named it perfectly. Um, And that comes back to this core belief, which is if I'm real, no one will be there for me. It won't work. And it's so heartbreaking. And, you know, I'd love to say, I'd love to have a black and white answer there, which is to say, no, 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 no. You know, the, the standard answer is, well, you wouldn't want anybody who doesn't want blah, 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 and whatever. The primal fear is I'll be alone, right? And so what we can start with is we offer that person, I really wish I could want to do that, and I don't. Or I really wish that worked for me. And we love to put things together with but. And yet the best word between all of our parts is, you know, I I see your intention in, you know, talking, saying what you said to me, and it doesn't work. So we're not untethering from the person. So we learn when we're in a loving relationship to, to allow for the both. But I think what you're speaking to really needs to be addressed, which is this terror that I won't, if I just have myself and my truth, I won't be okay. Right? So we have to get a little taste of um, what is it like to really stand in the truth? We do it kindly. We do it compassionately. But I've had this idea of me, you know, I don't care what other people think. I'm just going to say my truth and that that's going to sort of leave me, you know, as a woman in the shoe, old woman alone in my house with cats. It's, you know, it's how do I start to feel the strength and the home and the ground of that and get the, get the feel for how that can be connected to it doesn't mean what we've what we've assumed it means, which is um, a complete uh, lack of attachment. You know what? Well, you know what's coming up for me. I just listened to a woman named Holiday Phillips at TED, TED talk about grief mm-hmm. and and social ac- activism, and in every form, there's a level of letting go of that person that we've been holding on to. Yeah. That is a little level of grief and sadness, and also doing that in vulnerability with a partner and letting them also know that you're going to give them room for the mess and the growth. That's right. And so the, I, I, it does come down to someone, the the partner being willing to, to move forward with your ability to let go of that person that's been this codependent person, that all their needs are tied up in what they are as a mother or what yeah. they are as a partner. Yeah. And it's, and- yeah. It's so true. It's so true. I'm jumping in here because it's also a spiritual evolution to a large extent in the sense that, you know, as we're doing that, as we're owning the truth in the space of love, that's the piece that we haven't learned yet and we can learn, um, that what we're really doing is taking the, the backward step from the identity with all these 
whether it's a role or it's the feelings or the thoughts or the all of it, right? Getting out in front of us. Um, so we're not that, we're not that, we're not that. And when we love from that place, we're saying that there can be love, even when your experience of my saying that is that it it's hurtful. So I'm not attached to the words I said. I'm not attached to your experience of that. All of this is a kind of unraveling of where we put our eye flag. Wow. Right? I mean, it, it is a lot of that is that that's the work is the allowing and the surrendering. And it, it just so doesn't come naturally to us. So and that's why I'm so happy for your book and the other work you're doing with seminars and a Kripalu. So let's make a transition to that. to what what's coming up for you or um, sure. any of the things that you'd like to, you know, your book obviously is a place to start. I know you've done things at the 92nd Street. Well, I don't know if you still are. Any other places people yeah, I'm, I'm you, online anywhere. Too busy. I'm too busy. That's probably why I'm emotionally exhausted. But um, I, yeah, so I, I give seminars at Kripalu, which is one of my favorite places on earth, and at Omega and at the Y. And I'm hoping to be out at Esalen next, uh, in 2024. Um, but essentially, I take women who come in emotionally exhausted or depleted from that place. Um, the hope is... Uh, by understanding how and why we've gotten to this place of self-abandonment, if you will, or moving away from our vitality um, and living codependently on these fumes of being like, I, I take them on a journey back home to themselves to have a taste of uh, standing in our own shoes and speaking from a more truthful place and having the courage to do that lovingly. Um, and finding themselves again, sometimes after seven decades, uh, reacquainting themselves with, with something that's beyond their roles. And, um, and, and that process of coming home is so profound. And I'm so lucky to get to accompany them on that journey and sort of uh, facilitate it. So I teach all over the book, Emotionally Exhausted Woman is the entry level sort of of uh, uh, the process and why, you know, self-care and this wonderful self-care $14 billion industry is the wrong medicine for what really ails us. Pampering is lovely and yet not the solution to this uh, relationship that we have built with ourselves as adversaries. Uh, it, it won't, it won't touch us a bit like opening a, a, a door lock with a banana. It's just the wrong tool. So I get into all of that in the book and, and set out some uh, steps to come home to a different sense of safety where the truth is safety, not just others liking us. Um this interestingly, this November, they invited me at Kripalu to give a weekend workshop on the book that preceded this one, which is called Can't Stop Thinking, because I'm a bit of a, an expert in um, overthinking and uh, <laughs> obsessive compulsive thinking. Uh, so um, that 
book actually is just a book that sells off the shelf. So a lot of us apparently are overthinkers and <laughs> can't stop thinking. Another one from Nancy Collier. Awesome. So yeah. many in your, on your website, nancycollier.com. And and this beautiful work you're doing. I'm just I'm really touched by it. Yeah, and and just so on a fun level, are you still riding horses? <laughs> I do ride. I do. Um I fell off a couple of years ago and broke four bones. So I am trying to jump smaller jumps. I spent, you know, 30 years of my life on the uh, horse show, a circuit, traveling the country. Um, I am a little bit more cautious, speaking of having children, of um, not wanting to harm myself. And uh, so, yes, I ride. And I hate the fact that fear has entered with the broken bones. Uh, so I take my calcium and I do what I can, but uh, I will never not ride. Good. And so what else is in the future for you and your husband? I mean, what other things are you looking forward to or for your work? Whatever. Yeah. So always the question, what do we want? What do we want? Right. That is the question we live with. And we are uh, realtor junkies. So we live in Manhattan and also Connecticut and are just uh, fans of uh, where should we go? Where should we go? My husband is European, so his answer is always Europe. We love to, you know, sort of tinker with with different projects and that kind of thing. Um, and uh, I just love. I wake up every day and I love what I do. I love what I do, and I'm aware that the the search for where to be and all of that is just what would life be if there weren't a carrot to chase. It's just the mind sort of having a bone, and I. And I give it its bone and so on. But what makes a day nourishing is what really interests me. I love my children. I love my husband. I love my friends. I love my work. I cannot believe how lucky I am. I've created it, yes, but as a handshake with the universe. Um, so I look at it more as today what feeds me. And that's that's pretty much as far as I, I can go. And shake with the universe, the blessings every morning that I feel to be vital and alive and able and allowed to choose, to be able to have permission. And thank you. This has been such a delight, really a delight. And thank you. I'm, I'm going to have you stay on for another moment. But thank you, Nancy. so many good points to take away and learn Absolutely. from. I mean, especially for women, but I think, I think men, you know, that are attached to their sons as well and, and really can and really are emotionally exhausted, even if forget just stress at work, but emotionally exhausted if they're trying to do it all. I think that it's definitely aligned with our newest theme. Are you ready for act three? We raised many subjects regarding the readiness for act three, but this is definitely one of them that uh, we are not really have yet to elaborate on, but we can discuss briefly here, the attachment. The parents that are really attached and see their identity as their parents and really can't find another one, which makes the transition uh, while the kids are departing and leaving the home much more difficult. And she, exactly, she, she really discusses this cost of pleasing others. And of course, as parents, we're going to please our children. The question is, how caught up do we get in that? And then this idea that we, we lose our own voice along the line and it becomes this small voice. So we lose our vitality. And, that, and that's where 
we need to start asking ourselves what we want, what lights us up, what is, and this new awareness we hope in these discussions is what I love Nancy says, is the match that lights that flame. And and the attachment comes in many forms. And Nancy is referring to to start young, uh, while the children are still young, trying to kind of wean them out of being attached and trying to take care of yourself while they're still young and understanding that there is uh, you, your identity is, doesn't have to be just as a parent. You can be a parent when you're with your kids, but there's always you. There's always investment in you. And and being rather than a martyr, a role model. I mean, I know that I've only learned recently that that no is a is a full sentence. And honestly, because I'm always wanting to like because I can't do that or I'm sorry. Da, da, da. And I actually was in, recently at a friend's house and I was tired and I had, I already said I was tired earlier. And then she still asked me at, at like ten o'clock, "Do you want to?" And I just said no. And I went into the room and I thought, you know, I just said no. I didn't even try to say, because I'm sorry that I can't stay up. I had told her I was tired earlier. And then I actually, the next morning, said to, said to her, because I was sleeping over I, I down in Florida, and I said, oh, you know what? I really appreciate that. It's so There's so much ease between us because we're evolved enough not to need to justify. Or, or to please others. It's a role others. model to, oh. please, to stop pleasing others. Yeah, and, and when we do that, pleasing others, we really stop living our authentic lives. We start living for others. And what do they think? More that I don't want them to think of me as such. I don't want them to see me that way. And now you are not living your own life. And this is what she's referring to. And bringing that back to Act 3, this is what a parent or a couple need to do with their kids when they're young. Continue to invest in themselves. It doesn't mean that you have to neglect your children. It doesn't mean that you do not pay attention to their need. It means that there's also you in this relationship. And, and that takes courage to be disappointing is what she talks yes, about. being disappointing. Not always making others first by not, by finding the balance and we right. can't always find it perfectly and I do encourage you to start with this ways of, in terms of this no and it's not obviously only with your children but to be able to practice it. She was talking about asking at a coffee shop but even be able to say to anyone in your in your relation, I'm not going to be able to, or I'm not comfortable doing I wanna that. I want to stay home tonight. I don't I want to. Home. I just don't really uh, want to. I want to stay in bed tonight. <laughs> I, I want to stay in bed this morning. And please, you take care of the kids because I'm tired. Okay? That or to the thing. kids. You know, I can't yeah. do it right now. And not, I'm sorry I can't do it right now. But, you know, I need I need this for me. And these are the part of the training, I think, that they need to know and is very important if we haven't been doing it to reinforce. Right. Anyway, attachment and codependency are certainly a subject matter that we're going to address more in the upcoming episodes, and it's certainly a big part of preparation for Act 3. Absolutely, and thank you for, sh- for, for continuing to listen, and I love to get your comments. So I'm, again, going to encourage you to get on our, go on Instagram and, and tell us you like this episode and make a comment there or get into our closed Facebook page, page if you'd like to be part of a discussion there. And thank you for sharing the episode with people that you think could really use, the, use this extra boost. Absolutely, and thank you for making us Uh, on the top 15% of relationship podcasts. Visit us at theopennesters.com, double in the middle, S at the end. And subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. (laughs) Till next time, this is Amir. And this is Tessa. We will see you in the next episode. Ciao.
You have been listening to the Open Nesters Podcast, a production of Kiwi Publishing and Media. Executive Producer, Tessa Crone. Music by Yoni Avi Patat. Audio Engineering by Lucid Sound. Web Design and Blogs, PJ Ewing. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms. To learn more about each episode and guest, please visit us at theopennesters.com. For questions or to be a guest on our podcast, email tessa at theopennesters.com.